1 Peter is written to a group of Christians who have been scattered all over. Now because of that, Peter writes to them because it's a very difficult time to be a Christian. First of all, these are first century Christians. So these are people who have heard the message and, and they didn't come from Christian families. They came from either a pagan background or a Jewish background or some other background. And they came to Christ. And so they're new to all of this Christian stuff. Um, in addition to that, Rome is in charge, and Rome has taken a really dangerous turn, turn in the direction of Christianity. And because of that, what's happened is, to call yourself a Christian meant you could die. Um, at the time that this book is written, Nero has just died. If you know anything about the reign of Nero in Rome, Nero, Christians were not at the top of his I love you list. They were at the top of his I want to kill you list. In fact, he, Nero, set fire to Rome and burned part of Rome and blamed the Christians for it. So there was this animosity, this hatred towards Christians. And... Um, Peter writes to these people to give them hope, to give them encouragement, to challenge them to keep the faith during difficult, hard times. So it's a good book for us. It's a good book for us to look through. Last week we talked about the fact that Peter spent a lot of time talking about the idea that, look, treasure your faith in Christ. Because the Old Testament saints would have given anything to understand it and embrace it like you and I can. And even the angels in heaven envy us. So that's how he kind of ended. Now today, he's going to talk about that even more. And he's going to go more in depth into what it looks like to live like a Christian in, the, in, in today. All right? So, with that in mind, 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 13. Here's what it says. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. A lot of versions say, um, um, gird up your minds. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now we're just going to stop there and we're going to spend our time a little bit on that first verse because that's very, very important. He says, here's what I want you to do. He says, I want you to gird up your mind. I want you to be, prepare your mind or, or, or be serious and, and for action. So the idea is I want you to be active. Now, girding up means what to you? Okay, let's think about it if you're a first century person. First century person wore things differently than we do. Okay? They, don't ha they didn't have outfits like this. That, you know, we go to a clothes store and we get a rack and it says what? You know, it, we look for our size, right? And depending on the thing. All right, well, here's what happened. When Jimmy came back from Afghanistan, he wanted to bring us the garb of Afghanistan. So he brought me an Afghanistan outfit. Now, they don't have sizes there. So all they do is they go, okay, well, he's like a large guy. So this is my size in Afghanistan for a pair of pants. Now, I've gained a tad bit of weight, but I'm here to tell you I thought this was ridiculous. But it illustrates my point because if this is my size in Afghanistan, okay, here's kind of what this thing looks like. So you get the idea here. It actually does fit, believe it or not. Because around the ankles and around the bottom part of my legs, it's actually about right. 
So you take this thing like this, and you kind of loosely, and there's actually a loop for it, you kind of loosely tie it up, and because it's hot, it's fairly comfortable to wear because it breathes, and it's a light material, and it's a very humid, hot area. But, and that was, by the way, very similar to the kind of garb they would have had at the time that this, this, this book's written. But, here's the problem. If you went to work, or if you had to run, or if you had to do something, you had to gird it up so it was tight. So what I would do is, I would, I could do this this way, kind of. I would do this, and I would take it over this way, and I would kind of tuck it in here for right now, okay? And I would do that, and now I've girded it up. It gets better, hang on. There's a top that goes with this. No, don't. <laughs> yeah, see, that's why I hate Facebook and social media. Okay. Yeah, thanks. Okay, well, at least let me get the hat on. Um, so now, okay, now this is what I would have worn or something similar to this. Now, here's the idea. I work out twice a week, okay, and so I get on a treadmill. Can you imagine getting on a treadmill with this? So, oh, yeah, look at it. All the cameras are coming out, all the stuff. You know, it's like, oh, man, I don't even know. Well, you should know, before you tag me, I have to approve it. Ha! Uh, anyway, but if I was going to work out, I could work out in this. But here's what I would have to do. I couldn't let it be this flimsy, so I would gird it up. And here's what I would do. And actually, this works. If I took a belt like this, and I wrap everything up really good and tight, and I do this number, and I cinch this up really tight, okay, now, guess what? I can run the thing. I can do that kind of thing. Why? Because I'm girded up. Everybody get that? What Peter says is, your mind is like this thing that kind of runs around a little crazy. You, what do you have to do? You have to gird it up. You have to tie it up. And you have to make sure that you bring it into control in order for you to live like God intended you to live. And so Peter says, what I want you to do is I want you to gird up your mind. And then he goes on and he says this. Be what? Self-control. See, this is all controlled now. And I could actually, if I had to, work out on it. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that I would go to the YMCA like this. I think I could definitely find out who, who's concealed to carry at that point. Um, but, you know, I mean, the idea is, the idea is, he says, look, you gird up your mind and you be self-controlled. Some translations translate it be sober. Now, to us, when we talk about sobriety, we're talking about somebody who doesn't drink themselves to the point that they're drunk, right? In this culture, that wasn't true. Okay, get this off. I'm going to die. Um, in first century, if you were sober, you were somebody who practiced abstinence. Um, in fact, this idea of being sober or being, being um, self-controlled, um, actually Peter's going to address it on three occasions in this book. So it's something you're going to hear him say again. But his idea is, look, 
you're going to have to control stuff. You're going to have to take your mind, you're going to have to take the way you think, you're going to have to take the things that come into your head, and you are going to have to control them. Because you see, if you're really going to live for God, that's part of it. That's part of it, is to change the way you think. To change the way you approach things. To gird it up, to be serious, self-controlled about it. And he goes on to say this, why? Because that way you can set your hope fully on the grace of God given to you. He said, you're, you're a child of God, so you've got to do this. And then this, notice what he says. As obedient children, do not confirm the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. All right, let's talk about this for a second. Let's talk about children in this time. In this culture, and, and Paul already, or Peter already dealt with the idea of adoption last week. An adopted child and a biological child were, no, were not considered any different in this culture. An adopted child was exactly the same as a biological. Adoption was something very, very common in this culture when this is written. It was not like it is today where it's really hard to adopt a child. Back then, this was just a common thing. And so, and in this thing, if you were a child, you had two desires. If you were a boy, you had two desires. One was ultimately to be a, a student of a rabbi. If you couldn't do that, the next desire was to know and follow in the footsteps of the trade of your father. If your dad was a fisherman, you wanted to be a fisherman. You wanted to carry on the family business. If your dad was a farmer, you wanted to farm. If your dad was what raised sheep, you wanted to raise sheep. If your dad was a carpenter, you wanted to be a carpenter. Whatever, your goal was ultimately for your dad to teach you his trade and your dad to say, thanks, you can do what I do. That was what every child longed for. So when Peter here talks about being obedient children, he's piggybacking off that. You're, you're trying to be like your father. You're being obedient children. Now, tell me about disobedient children. What are they like? I mean, I know they're not fun, but tell me characteristics of a disobedient child. They want their own way. Selfish. Self-centered. All about them. Huh? Mouthy. Huh? Angry. Angry. You know where this is going, don't you? You are. You know where. So you're saying, okay, what can I say that he can't turn around and use for me being disobedient to God? There's nothing, because disobedient children is exactly what Peter's saying. He's saying, look, you don't want to be a disobedient child. You want to be an obedient child. An obedient child listens to their parents. They obey. They're tender-hearted. They're kind. They're giving. They think about others. All of those kinds of things. And he says, that's the kind of children you and I should be for God. God's our Father. That's the kind of relationship we want to have with Him. And then look at what he goes on to say. But just as He who called you, again, that's that Father idea, just as God who called you is holy, so be ye holy in all you do. For it is written, this is a quote from Leviticus, be ye holy for I am holy. Right? Now, when I say holy, everybody has all kinds of mental images of your life experiences. What does holy look like? And I think that's a question you need to wrestle with this week. What does holy look like? Okay? Let me try to make this a little simpler in our language today. Holy is a word that means set apart. Okay? That's what it means. Um, I'm going to illustrate it this way. 
I have <clears throat> this is my everyday watch. I go through, this is one of those Timex Marathon Iron Man things, okay? Um, I don't know how long I've had these things. I, about two to three years, this will be shot. About a year, this will be shot, and I'll replace it out. I am one of those people who wear a watch 24-7, and you know how I can prove that? Because whatever tan I get, I do not walk out of the house without a watch. You will rarely ever see me without a watch. I mean, I can even swim in a watch. I mean, I, I, I just... I wear a watch all the time, okay? Um, this is my everyday watch. It really takes a beating and keeps on ticking. No, um, and all the older people are going, I remember that. And all the young people are going, what? Uh, this thing gets worn every single day. And it really takes some abuse. This is my dress-up watch. So last night I was at a, a, a banquet and uh, I wore this, okay, because this is my dressier watch. I wear this on Sundays. This is my dressier watch. If I'm going, so, so you can always tell what I think about how the, the event rates in my life by what watch I'm wearing, okay? <clears throat> this is holy. Here's why. It's set apart every week. For when I want to give acknowledge that it's an event that is different from what that which is normal. Everybody get that? Both watches do the same thing, but that's set apart. I have another holy watch. That happens to be this one. Notice this one, even to display it for you, is in a case. Here's why. When my dad retired from Texaco, Texaco gave him a watch. And it has a nice little diamond at the top of it. And it's a very expensive, pricey watch. And when my dad died, my mom gave it to me. I wear this from time to time. In the last couple of years, I think I've worn it once that I can remember. And that was at my son's wedding. This watch is also holy. It's set apart. Peter says... The world is this. You are like those watches. You're set apart. You're different. You're unique. You're special. I have made you, because of my blood, because of my sacrifice, because of your faith and trust in me, I have taken you from this to this. And this is how I see you. By the way, Paul, when he writes in so many of the New Testament books, you know what he, you know how he refers to Christians? As saints. You know what a saint is? A holy one. A set-apart one. And Peter argues this. He says, look, because God has done that for you, and because God is holy, because God is not like this, God is like this. And when he saved you, he made you like this. He made you like these watches, not like those. And he says, so you know what? You know how you need to act every day? Like this. Different. Different. See, you know why I wear this every day? Because it's cheap. And honestly, I don't put a lot of value on it. When I paint stuff, 
You know how many times? What happens to most of these watches for me is this thing gets all faded because I clean it with acetone. Okay? Because I'll paint with the watch and I'll get acetones on it. Uh, and then it'll get all foggy and then I'll try to clean it up and buff it out. And then eventually it'll be, okay, I'll give another one. And it's a dime a dozen. You know how hard it'll be to replace this? Well, I could probably get a similar watch. I doubt with the Texaco logo. But not with the importance and value this watch has in my life. And you guys, I don't know who's going to get it when I die. You guys figure it out. Um, you know now, yeah, you know now when your kids start going, well, Dad, when you die, I want, um, you know, you know, you know you've crossed a whole different relationship with your kids. And, and, so, and it's kind of nice because now I can go, okay, remember, I still have a will. Uh, so, you know, but I mean, seriously, when you, when you talk about, and, and Peter argues, he said, look, this is you. You are holy. Your, your father is holy. So be holy. Set yourself apart. Don't be like this, everybody, everybody else is out there. And then he takes another step further. Listen to what he says in the next verse. He says, since you call on a father, again, going back to this child idea, who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here. We talked about this last week, didn't we? The idea that, that this is not our home. He said, you're a foreigner here. You don't have any business acting like this. I saved you so you don't have to act like this. I saved you because I set you apart. I made you holy just as I, your heavenly Father, am holy. And he said, he's done that for you. And remember, he's talking to people who, to stand up and say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Christ, might lose their life just for those words. And he said, don't you dare be ashamed of it. Don't you be, dare be ashamed to set yourself apart and look differently and act differently. Let the world know you're different. And he goes on. For you know that it was not written, it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed, but from an empty way handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world. He was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. So your faith and hope are in God. He says, look. Now, let me, let me say this before I forget it. There are a lot of people that believe these four verses right here were an ancient hymn. So let's say I was talking to you this morning and I said something like, you know, I've come to realize that on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. Now, there's a lot of you in here that what are you doing right now in your head? You're, you're going through the whole hymn, right? When Peter would have started with, for you know that it was not with perishable things, a lot of people believe the first thing that these people would have done is start going through the, the hymn in their head. They knew all of this. And he was bringing it back to their idea, to, to the idea to take the words and think about them, guys. And he talks about the idea. He says, you were redeemed from an empty way of life, handed down from... You, you to your forefathers. All these people handed down and said, look, you don't have to live like this. Christ died so you can live like that. And he goes on to say this. But with the precious blood of Christ, he made it so you don't have to be this anymore. Instead, you can be this. You can be like this watch, not like this one. And he goes on to say this. 
He was chosen before the creation of the world. He was revealed in the last time. It's the idea of, look, you got to hear about this message. You got to experience it. The Old Testament saints would love to. The angels envy you. You got to experience it and be a new child of God and be a believer and be a follower of Christ. And then he goes on. He said, through him you believe in God who raised you from the dead and glorified. So your faith and hope, they're in God. You don't even have to worry about dying. Because you have a... So you know what? Let Rome do whatever it wants to do. If it wants to put you to death, it's okay. You know why? Because you're no longer this. You're set apart now. You're holy. And Peter argues this to these people to try to get them to understand it. And his whole argument comes down to this idea of you don't have to live like you used to live. Now, let's talk about application. Let's talk about applying do you understand what this is up here? Somebody tell me what this is. Okay, let me tell you what this is. There are three wires in here. A green one, which is a ground. A white one, which is common. I mean, uh, which is neutral. And a black one, which is common. Do you understand that there, in that black wire, there's 110 volts of electricity that runs through there? Depending on what the breaker is back there, probably 20 amps. And do you understand that if I took, and kids, this is why you never play with extension cords. Do you understand that if I was able to touch that black wire, I could die? Because any electrician will tell you, 110 is probably one of the most difficult voltages to mess with. Because 110, if, when you grab a hold of it, it's hard to let go because you've grounded yourself. You know, 224, 46, 60, it may kill you, but it's also going to knock you back 20 feet. 110, you can actually hang on to it and try to let go and be paralyzed and not be able to, and that's why a lot of guys die from that. It's dangerous. It is dangerous. So why can I lay it up here, plug it in, walk all over it, let kids sit up here on the platform and not be worried? Here's why. It has insulation around it. It has a piece of black rubber wrapped around the entire cord. And then they put this big plastic in here. And then, so each one of the wires, even the ground and, and the neutral and, and then the common, each have, they have red, green, uh, red, blue, red, red, white, and blue. Red, no, not even red. That's, that's, uh, that's four. Yeah, four wires. Okay, black which is common, white, which is neutral, and green, which is red, uh, ground. They have those three. And then they take up one... What? Did I get it right? Green, which is ground. Green, I just keep saying that? See? Christmas messes me all up. White, which is neutral, green, which is ground, and black, which is common. Okay, I'm done. Uh, no, here's what they did now. They wrapped it then, to make sure you don't get electrocuted, they wrapped it in another coating of yellow. This is why if an extension cord gets a crack in it, get rid of it. It's too dangerous to go, oh, I'll just put tape on it and hope it'll hold. You know, spend the bucks so you don't burn your house down. Uh, what's that? Yeah, I know, I know. We've all done it. I'm not saying we should. Uh, my goal is to teach us what to do right, not wrong. Here's the thing. The rubber is in contact with this. 
it is not isolated. Instead, it insulates. It has contact with it, but it does not affect or impact the plastic. Peter argues here, and Paul, another pastor you're going to look at in a second, your job as a Christian is not to isolate yourself from the world. See, some people read this passage and they go, see, this means that we should be holy. So, here's what we're going to do. We're going to like build a little commune and we're all like going to live together and we're all going to just gather together every day and we're just going to study the Bible and we're all going to do everything in common and we're not going to have anything to do with the world because the world is bad. So we are going to isolate ourselves completely from the world. Well, here's the thing. When Jesus came to the earth, that's not what he did. Jesus walked among them. So what did he do? Jesus insulated himself from the world. He said, I'm going to show them what a holy person in contact with something that is dangerous and sinful looks like. And so the irony is, I can come up here, I can step on this, I can walk on it, I can do all kinds of things and not worry about the danger that is on 110 volts, which is in this court. And I can let kids sit up here and feel comfortable that it'll be okay. Why? Because it insulates it. And this is what Peter is saying. He's saying, your job as a Christian is to go out and be in contact with the world, but not let the world taint and affect you. You, on the other hand, change it. Listen to Romans chapter 12. Paul argues it this way. I urge you, brothers in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, there's our word again, set apart. And pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. You really want to worship God this week? And you know what? You go out and don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. You go out and you be different in the world. Look at, look at all the words he uses. Holy, except, um, uh, living sacrifices, holy, pleasing to God. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Wow, isn't that what Peter just said? Gird up your minds, gird up your thoughts, beat self-control. That way, you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Good, pleasing, and perfect. You want to really live for God this week? Then one of the things you need to do is you need to be in the world. But you need to be the one that's different from the world. You need to be the one that doesn't live like them but instead does the same thing they do, but is set apart. You're set apart. You're different. Not better, you're different. Because that's how the world is going to see Christ in us. And that's what he argues here. So Paul wraps it up. Basically what Peter said, he said, look, go out there and do this every week. Paul said it this way to the Philippian church. So first thing I think is the idea of, look, Insulate yourself from the world, but don't isolate yourself. God's not saying, you really want to serve God this week? Great. Go unplug yourself from the world, sit at home, and be a monastic, and, and pursue a monastic ascetic lifestyle, which says, mm, mm, nope, no outside influences. Mm, I've worshipped God this week. No. Not what he says. Not what that passage teaches. Instead, you go out. He said this way to the Philippian church. Listen to this. Uh, so that no one can speak a word without blame against you. You are to live clean, innocent lives as children of God. Oh, there's our idea again. 
In a dark world, wouldn't you, advise, wouldn't you suggest that the world you're about to walk into this week is a dark world? Full of what? Crooked and perverse people. Well, that pretty much describes it. Why? Let your lives shine brightly before them. You see, folks, they got to see this and this. Because they see this every day. It's got to be different. And that's what, that's what these guys are arguing for for us as Christians. So here's the thing. You and I have to live differently. We have to live soberly. We have to be self-controlled. So when everybody else is losing their coal... Okay, now, now we're going to get into practical application. So this is where those of you who have steel-toed shoes on are going to be very happy. Those of you who don't are going to be upset. It means that when everybody else is coming unglued at a referee... I'm not. When everybody else is complaining at work, I'm not. When everybody else is talking about how how horrible the boss is, I'm not. When everybody else is telling dirty joke after dirty joke after, after innuendo, I'm not. Why? Because I'm separate, I'm different. I'm set apart. God did that for me. I don't have to live like this anymore. I don't have to. And that's what he argues here. So the idea is that you and I, we do the same things. But we're different. We're set apart. We do it for different reasons. So in any given situation, there's going to be this response. And there's this response. And you, every day, by girding up your mind, by focusing on self-control, by doing things, you're the one who decides which one reflects your life this week. So, let's get real practical. What would it look like for a holy, separated, set-apart person when they get up in the morning and approach their spouse What does that look like? What does that look like when a holy, separate, separated, set-apart person goes into work and says good morning to everybody at the workplace? All right, are you ready for this? I don't think Christians ought to live by the philosophy of TGIF. Why? I think we ought to live with the philosophy of, thank God I have a job. I mean, are we going to think differently or not? Are we going to gird up the way we think or not? Are we just going to keep letting them fly around like we always do? Just because somebody says it, we, I, I, don't, I don't agree with, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. I believe God said it, that settles it. I really don't care if you believe it or not. See, we, 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 we adopt all these things because the world does it, and then we assume that, they, that we have to do it. Let me ask you, what does it look like, kids, for a holy, set-apart Christian to do their homework? What does it look like for a holy, set-apart child when they clean their room? 
And not do it like everybody else. Parents, this is not the time to hit your kids, all right? Um, <laughs> Rod. Uh, no. Uh, what does that look like? Husbands, what does it look like when you walk in from work and you meet your spouse for the first time since you guys have been gone all day? What does it look like for a holy, separated, different kind of person to do that with? Wives, what does that look like? Kids, what does that look like when the coach tells you to sit on the bench when there are better when you're a better player? What does that look like? What does it look like when you're driving to work and you get cut off? What does a hagios, holy, set apart person respond? When you're Hey, I'm on a roll. When you are late to work and you are driving, I feel like I'm on like, uh, you know, how do you know if you're a redneck? Um, (laughs) How do you know if you're holy? What does it look like for a holy separated person when they're late to work and they have to drive the speed limit? What does it look like for a holy person who's standing in that line and the cashier is from the planet, how slow can I check you out? <laughs> what does it look like for a holy hagias, separated person? Hagias, by the way, is a Greek word for it. Uh, what does it look like for a holy person when you're standing in line and they scan the item and it doesn't scan and they click on the little light that means you now have to wait? What does it mean for a hagias, separated, holy person when you pull up? to the drive-thru at your fast food place because you're in a hurry and you go up and you pay the money and then they look at you and say could you please pull up there we will bring it out to you yeah yeah my wife's laughing because she knows i i stopped preaching to you a long time ago when we got on the driving thing i started preaching to me you can forget about the rest of it what does that look like What does it look like when a hagias, a holy, a separated, a different kind of person is at the gym working out? How do they look different? Okay, I'm really going to rock your world in a minute now. What does it look like when a hagias, separated, holy person is in a bar? You go, well, I don't do it. Okay, I have another reason for I don't do it. But that's one of the things they looked at Christ and said, wait a minute. You're eating with publicans and sinners. But you know why he could eat with publicans and sinners? Because then when he walked in there, he stood out like a sore thumb and it was different. Why? Because he was in contact with it, but he was insulated from it. You and I often get ourselves in unusual situations. The question is, what happens to most of us when we get in those situations? We go... How can I act? Oh, what happened to the other watch? How? How can I fit in and look like this? Peter argues, look, I saved you. God saved you. Not so you could go into a situation like that and let it affect you and you become like it, but rather so you could go into any situation in this world and look like this. That's what he argues. That's what he argues. How, what does it look like? When you are on the phone to customer service and it ain't going your way. 
What does it look like? Look, if we're really going to gird up our minds, we're really going to reflect Christ, we're really going to do it differently, this is what Peter argued. And by the way, understand, he's saying this to a group of people that when they start standing out and looking like this, they die. He's not saying this to a bunch of people. It's like, hey, it would be nice if, like, you know, you could tell people you're a Christian, like, once a year, like maybe Easter or Christmas. So, you know, you gird up your mind, you act like this, and you set yourself apart. You live it differently. You do it differently. You be self-controlled. You keep control of yourself. At any time when somebody looks at your life, the one thing they can't say about you is, that person is out of control. Why? Because God saved you so we could live like this. And let me tell you something. When you and I can start to embrace this and live like this, it's not better. We don't become, it's not like we're better than other people. Don't get that wrong. Because the bottom line is, look, I need both of those watches. Okay? I need both of those watches. But the reality of it is, this costs more, this has more value. And because of that, this stands out and gets treated much differently. And, Paul, and Peter's just simply saying, look, your salvation came at a high price. Value it, treasure it, don't be ashamed of it. Go into the world and do it differently so you can be a light so the world can see you handle it differently. So I believe that Christianity is not something we do on Sunday morning. I believe when you and I become Christian, there is not an area of our life that is not touched. From the things we watch, to the things we do, to the places we go, to the way we respond, that the more and more and more we're put in situation after situation after situation, the world looks at us and goes, you know, I don't know what it is, but there's something different. There's something different. I don't understand. You know, the whole world's falling apart. Did you see what happened in the elections? I can't understand why everybody's so bent out of shape. Why aren't they more upset? They should be upset. Could it be? Are you ready for this radical idea? That their confidence is not in the political system, that it's actually in God? <laughs> yeah, everybody's going, okay, I'm mad now. You know, um, yeah, we, looked, we talked about that in Sunday school. You know, I'm not saying I want to be like Christ and like when I get done preaching, everybody wants to take me out and throw me off a cliff. But if I get a response, we get a response, all right? Um, look, God saved us so we could do it different. He gave us the ability and the resources to do it different, to do it in a way that pleases Him. In such a way that when we start living like that, the world goes, whoa. I think I want what they got that's how we turn our world our community our nation upside down by living it out and that's what Peter argues here to these people he said just because it's tough don't you dare put your head in the sand and, and, and live like everybody else he said you be holy you be separate you be different you go ahead and stand up and make a difference and respond differently and let the world see you differently because that's how you honor God and that's the challenge. So for us this week, here's the way I'm going to end it. May each of you honestly look at your thoughts and your actions. May we each focus on salvation, redemption, and adoption that God's given us. May we think and act in ways that reflect the fact that our Father is holy. And He calls us saints. Saints.